Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. I am, of course, your co-host, Bill Smith. Joining me as he does every single episode. Well, you know, he's fresh off his performance during the Super Bowl 50 halftime show. Now, he wasn't on the stage with Coldplay, Beyonce, and Bruno Mars. He was the guy streaking the length of the field. He's the largely underdressed Dan Davidson. Dan... Welcome aboard, buddy, and try to put on some clothes, for crying out loud, would you? Why? It's, it's so much more fun the other way. I didn't catch that streaker. Um, Maybe because it was me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, it's good to be here, as always. Episode 46. Who would have thought? Um, certainly not you. No, not with the partnership I got going on here. I know your partner's a really class act. I love the guy. Yes. His co-host, not so much. Right. Thank you. Thank right. you. But and you know what? We're here for the we're here for the listeners and the fans, and not for not for each other. So we have to just put up with what we have to put up with for the good of the people. Uh, and wow. Okay. What a ringing endorsement there. <laughs> it's always good to be here, man. Dan, uh, before we get started, why don't you tell our friends in the audience how they might get in touch with us? Sure. Uh, we you can. I could do this every week. Don't the people know by now? No, I'm get, just kidding. <laughs> Now, there are a few ways to get in touch with us, as as you may know, Bill, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. Our handle is Trek Geeks. Uh, you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or pick up your rotary phone and give us a call at 508-784-1701. Uh, you can also join our official Facebook group called Camp Kittimer. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and we will let you right in. And just please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places, places, places may be used in a future episode. Wow. That was very succinct, Dan. Thank you so much for that information. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm going to turn it right back over to you, Bill. Thanks, Dan. Well, you know, remember last week we had our birthday show and we want to thank so many people for reaching out to us and wishing us a happy podcast birthday and otherwise uh, brightening our day a little bit. We and got songs. We got songs. We actually got, <laughs> you put out the call for songs and we got two, yeah. which uh, was fabulous. So um, we're going to play them before yep. we get to, to news and before we get to the meat of our episode today. Mm-hmm. The, the first one is from our friend Rick Tatro. Happy birthday to you both. 
Happy to Trek Geek Podcast. Your show has been on for a year now. A year full of strangeness and your face insults. So happy to Bill and Dan. May your Star Trek go on through the land. And so a week late, I'm sorry to say, happy birthday today. That was awesome. <laughs> People are singing to us, dude. <laughs> they really, really are. And uh I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think it's it's wonderful. We're glad that folks feel comfortable enough to send us stuff. Um I'm psyched. So Yeah, very psyched. That was awesome. Very, very, very appreciative. And our second birthday song today, Dan, comes from our good friend Brooke Wilkins, whom you remember we met at uh, STLV. She and her mom were cosplaying as Kira yes. and Kyle Paca. Well, she was nice enough to send a song to us. This is Brooke Wilkins, and I am calling to fulfill your request for a happy birthday song. Happy, happy birthday, Trek Geeks, dear. Happy days will come to you all year. If I had one wish, then it would be a happy, happy birthday to you from me. And there we go. So thank you, Rick, and thank you, Brooke. We truly appreciate the fact that, that you guys listen, and uh, thanks for making our day. It was really great. Yes, thank you very much. It was awesome. Can't wait till the next year if we can get some more. <laughs> Maybe I'll make you a special song next year. Okay. Well, Dan, moving on to recent news, as we've been doing lately. Um, we have some updates, and the first of which actually is an Axonar update that involves me. It does. How convenient. Very convenient. Very easy to uh, to talk about as well. Um, do you want to do the honor since it's about you, or do you want me to take the reins? Well, that's all right. I'll take it. Uh, so go. in our last episode, we mentioned that I had been banned from the Axonar fan group on Facebook uh, for seemingly no reason. Mm -hmm. And one of our good friends, Heather Barker, who is also on the Tricorder Transmissions Shore Leave podcast, happened to tweet out the fact that I had been banned and, and tagged Axonar in the tweet. Well, Alec Peters, the executive producer of Axonar, saw the tweet and reached out to both you and me, Dan, proactively. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted to get that situation uh, rectified because he was not aware that it had happened. And I have to say that he very quickly unbanned me and we both had a very pleasant conversation with him. Yes. Um, I was very impressed by the speed of which he reached out to us after that tweet went out by Heather. Um, and he seemed generally concerned and unaware that it had happened. Uh, and like you said, we both had uh, conversations uh, with him uh, that day, and it was rectified quickly. And I, I was very um, happy to see it um, come about the way it did. Yeah, I, I can totally understand what happened. I mean, I take him at his word. I want to state that mm -hmm. right off the bat. Yep. I do have a common name. I'm not going to lie. You know, my my dad. Luckily, he stopped having kids because he was running out of relatives to name them after. 
So I'm named after a great uncle. <laughs> and uh, with a name like Bill Smith, I mean, obviously, these things are going to happen from time to time. Honestly, it's happened my whole life. Yep. So I'm not surprised by this. So I do genuinely thank Alec for having unbanned me. I have since rejoined that group on Facebook. And as I said to him, I truly appreciated his quick response. Uh, on a personal note, that doesn't mean that you and I, Dan, don't still have questions and concerns right. with regard to Axanar. Right. Um, you know, we, like we said last episode, we're not throwing them in anybody's face. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to troll or upset the apple cart. Yep. But I genuinely do appreciate, you know, Alex reaching out and uh, and his his personal message. I, I thought he was very gracious. Yes, uh, I agree 100%. Uh, you're right. We do have questions. We do have concerns. It'll be interesting to see how things unfold in the coming months. Uh, but for him to take the time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule for him these days uh, to reach out to us and specifically you to get this situated uh, really showed me something, I think. So I was glad to see it. Thanks, Alec. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Alec. And now moving on, we want to talk about a different production. Dan, our good friends at Star Trek Continues, our uh, part of our Trek family, if you will, mm-hmm. had a major update in an announcement from the captain. Why don't you tell us yeah. all about it? Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, the captain uh, was on the bridge in his uh, uh, Star Trek t-shirt full of paint, had his tape measure out, and he wanted to let us know about some things that were coming down the road, some very soon and others a little uh, further on in the spring. Uh, As many of you know, episode six uh, is now in post-production, and he wanted to let us know uh, and all the fans know that episode six is going to actually be premiering at Megacon in Orlando, Florida, uh, in May, on the weekend of the 27th through the 29th. So it's finally going to be out there for us all to see, come not between the dragons. Uh, but in addition to that, he wanted to let folks know internationally, and for anybody who wanted to travel overseas, that they're going to have a sneak preview of Episode 6 in Germany at FedCon. And that'll be uh, the weekend of May 14th through the 16th. So... If you have some extra quatloos and you want to head over to Germany to watch it before anybody else, uh, May 14th and 16th or through 16th is going to be the time to go and see episode six. So that was awesome. Very excited to hear that. I got to say that German FedCon is a huge convention, and I am very envious of all of those trackies there in Germany. They are going to – go ahead. Is that, is that the one that um, you sent me a link once with YouTube when Brent Spiner was being – hysterical at i think that was fedcon in germany oh, it could be it's one of the yeah. premier events in europe so yeah i i am so psyched for everybody in attendance there that weekend yeah it's gonna uh, it's gonna be uh, uh quite a show at both conventions and of course once it has been released in orlando that weekend it will then be online for for everyone to see so we can't wait uh to see it uh, that was the episode that was being filmed while we had the uh opportunity to be down watching them make the episode. So we can't wait to see the finished product. Uh, the other thing that uh, Vic announced to us, which we're very excited about, is that the launch of the next fundraising is going to be taking place over on Indiegogo. Uh, Indiegogo, where no man has gone before fundraiser, is going to be launching on March 5th. So that is right around the corner. That's less than a month away now. So they're going to be raising some funds for their next set of uh, episodes that they want to uh, make. And uh, we're looking forward to a very successful fundraising campaign for Star Trek Continues. I have to tell you, I'm extremely jealous of you because for once, you're going to see that episode before I do. 
I'm going to be on a boat in the middle of the Caribbean, or I should say a ship, let's be honest. And by the time I get back, you will probably have seen that thing at least a half a dozen times, if not more. It is going to be a wonderful time. So mark your calendars, Memorial Day weekend. Dan Davidson is going to be shut up in his office alone, (laughs) rocking back and forth, watching Come Not Between the Dragons. Yes, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Maybe tweet him and ask him how it's going. I, I, I would be more than willing to answer all tweets that come in, too. Well, Dan, moving on, mm-hmm. it looks like CBS has announced a boatload of products with regard to the 50th anniversary for Star Trek. There are all kinds of things running the gamut. Yes, uh, from uh, all kinds of things. Uh, our friends over at trekmovie.com posted an article in regards to uh, what CBS announced. Um, whole bunch of stuff. We already know, we, I think we talked about a few weeks ago that the uh, Postal Service is going to be releasing some commemorative 50th anniversary stamps, um, which I will be getting many of. Uh, but also things from uh, Running Apparel by Brainstorm and AccuTime Watch Corporation is going to have a series of different uh, Star Trek-themed watches, which I'm looking forward to seeing. But the one that I think you're going to be most impressed with, and you can't wait to get in line for, Bill, is Build-A-Bear is going to have some specific Star Trek-themed teddy bears. And I am sure that you are just going to want to get the whole crew and line them right up there on your pretty little pillow. Don't judge me. I, I'm going to probably be right behind you in line, so that's okay. If I let you be, now with that attitude... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So yeah, and that's just a just a small sample of what uh, they were talking about. There is going to be a lot of merchandise to celebrate the 50th anniversary. So bank accounts throughout the quadrant will be uh, heavily hit over the next uh, year. Star Trek fans are going to be doing their part to help keep this economy going forward. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? It is. And Dan, lastly today. We have a we have a bit of news that kind of bums the both of us out. Yep, I think that's fair to say. And I'll, um, there was a, a story that made the rounds this weekend from one of the the uh, tabloids in the UK that essentially said that William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy weren't on speaking terms at the time of Leonard's death last year. Right. I had tweeted William Shatner to ask if it was true, and of course got no response, which I would expect because I'm just a guy with a podcast. Yep. You know, he gets tweets all the time. He's very prolific on Twitter. So I thought nothing of it until this afternoon, there was a published story from the Washington Post. So mm-hmm. a major paper of record in the United States talking about Shatner's forthcoming biography of his friendship with Leonard Nimoy called Leonard. And I'll read you the first paragraph of the story, and then we can talk about it after that. Okay. It says... A few years before Leonard Nimoy died last February at the age of 83, he stopped speaking to William Shatner, his close friend since their many Star Trek adventures. As he explains in Leonard, his new book about that relationship, Shatner still isn't sure what caused Nimoy to freeze out his Starship Enterprise other half. Quote, it remains a mystery to me and it is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, Shatner writes. It is something I will wonder about and regret forever. End quote. Dan, how did you feel when you first heard that quote? <clears throat> it's a perfect example of you never want something to happen that you can never take back, especially after someone passes away. Um, and I totally believe in his quote that it's something he's going to regret forever. Is 
there's nothing you can do about it now, unfortunately. So it's really is sad. I mean, they've had such a close relationship for so many years and whatever the reason uh, that this rift came up or Leonard was upset at Shatner for whatever reason, uh, it's really too bad that now that there's nothing that can be done to, uh, to fix that. It's really, really sad, especially coming up on the year anniversary of his passing. Um, so yeah, it's really a bummer. I think about the stories that occurred at the time and, and people being critical of Bill Shatner because he wasn't attending the funeral. And now we find out a year later that, that there was a good reason. Mm -hmm. And I understand Mr. Shatner's desire to want to keep this private. I'm sure that it must've been personally painful for him to make this revelation because he did love Leonard Nimoy like a brother. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a perfect illustration of how everybody somewhere is going through something regardless of their station in life. Right. Whether they're a huge star or whether they're somebody who's just working for a living and, you know, raising their kids, everybody right. has their own stuff. And I, I really feel this is kind of tragic in a sense. It is. And the thing that's also troubling about it is there's now no real definitive way that we'll know what the problem was. There are going to be people who are going to speculate about it. And there may be friends or family of Leonard's that claim that they know what the problem was, but there's always going to be that flag of doubt in whatever anybody says. There's no way we're going to know because the only person who can tell us isn't here anymore. Right. Well, we should point out that Mr. Shatner's book, Leonard, My 50-Year Friendship with a Remarkable Man, written by William Shatner with David Fisher, goes on sale February 16th at book outlets everywhere. Yes, and I'll be reading it. I think I will be too, and you yes. know me, I don't read. So. No. Well, Dan, moving on. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about today about some fan Star Trek, which we don't get to do all that often. It seems mm -hmm. like, you know, um, releases by fan films and independent, independent productions, pardon me, I can't even speak today, seem to be few and far between. And you and I actually get to dig into an episode of a series we've never talked about before. Right. And that's what's exciting about today's show is, is it's one that we haven't talked about really at all in any way, shape, or form since we started this over a year ago. We may have mentioned it um, title-wise as we're talking about different fan productions, um, but we felt that uh, with the release of the newest episode from Star Trek Phase 2 slash New Voyages, I believe they changed the titling of it recently, um, The Holiest Thing came out recently, and we felt it would be good and fun to talk about a different facet of Star Trek that we haven't talked about before. Before we go any further, uh -huh. we should tell people now that mm -hmm. this thing is filled with spoilers. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to edit this part in before my recap. Yes. I was <laughs> thinking of that as you started reading it. I was like, oh. <laughs> so from here on in, we are going to talk about this episode, and there will be spoilers the entire way. So we recommend you stop and watch Star Trek New Voyages, the holiest thing first. And then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. Okay? Go. I like it. This episode was originally supposed to premiere two years ago. Yeah. And it was delayed significantly. And I guess there were a lot of production problems with this particular mm -hmm. episode. We'll get into some of that um, in just a bit. But 
why don't we go ahead and recap the episode, and then we'll move on and talk about the various elements. Okay. All righty. I give the mic to you, sir. Scotty is planetside at the terraforming station on Lapa 3, where Dr. Carol Marcus is working with her colleagues. As Scotty and Carol depart in a shuttlecraft, the outpost explodes in a huge ball of fire and is completely incinerated with no survivors. The two are rescued by the Enterprise as their shuttle goes down on the planet's surface. Against Dr. McCoy's advice, Kirk allows Carol to investigate the accident together with Mr. Spock. The two beam down to the hazardous surface wearing life belts. Carol spots a device with a strange energy signature, and it discharges in Spock's direction. Spock's life belt fails, and he gets an emergency beam out, but Carol's communicator fails. Kirk risks his life and beams down without a life belt to save her. Spock comes to the conclusion that the strange energy reading stems from protomatter, and that Carol may have utilized it to get her project back on schedule and to avoid significant delays. While all this has been going on, the connection between Kirk and Carol has really intensified, and they've fallen in love. They chat about birthing worlds, and they visit the Arboretum, and they both notice Kirk has his shirt off, and before you know it, they skip some dinner. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The Enterprise follows the trail of an unknown vessel that has been observing the crew, and it turns out to be the Ferengi. I'm going to say that again. It turns out to be the Ferengi. The Ferengi commander says he's been in contact with humans before, and he sold the technology to produce protomatter to one of Carol's co-workers without her knowledge. Mystery solved. <laughs> when Carol is about to leave the ship, Kirk proposes marriage to her and even offers to resign his commission. She declines and drops another bit of news. Hey, she's pregnant with his son, and she would rather he wasn't gallivating around the cosmos with dear old dad. They go their separate ways, and the Enterprise heads off to continue with her mission. That was a great synopsis, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, oh. this, uh, this episode has some issues. Um, I think that's putting it politely. There are some good aspects to it. But there are some glaring issues. Very well put. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now. Well, why don't you go ahead and start? What I was going to say is, as we said at the beginning, this is our first discussion talking about a new fan production that we have come in to start watching. Um. One of the things that I was interested about and actually very happy to see at the beginning which I'm sure you have a comment on was loved seeing Scotty in the next generation timeline, because we met this gentleman in Boston. We talked about it last week. We met this guy in Boston looks just like Jimmy Dewan did in the uh, movie timeframe. And he was in this episode for some reason. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out why. I mean, don't get me wrong. Carl Sheldon was a wonderful guy when we met him. He was very gracious. He took pictures with, uh, it must have been a thousand people that day. And rightfully so, because he looks fantastic dressed up as as Scotty. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't understand these bookended scenes for this episode because they make no sense in the scope of the story. Yeah. I'm wondering, I don't know any of the people associated with Star Trek New Voyages. Um, I'm wondering if they did this because they know uh, Carl, right? Yep. And they wanted to get him involved. I mean, because it, it, it really is kind of eerie how much he looks like Jimmy. Um, in the later years. Um, so that that's really the only thing I can think of, because you're right. There is no reason for there to be um, bookends in this episode with the next generation timeline. No. Um, so none whatsoever. I mean, there's no reference of any kind that would lead you to believe, oh, that's why that's in there. It's just there, I think, for fluff. Well, I, Scotty is in the opening scene in the TOS era. Mm-hmm. So... But there's no real good segue from Scotty TNG to Scotty TOS. And why is there a lieutenant, a Starfleet lieutenant in the TNG era in that shuttlecraft with Scotty? And why is he training her? He's retired. Right. Right. Wasn't he on his way to a retirement colony anyway? Yeah, the Norpin colony. Yeah. 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 That was a little odd. But um, so that's what I'm taking it as. They wanted to have him on something. Um, they wanted to get him involved so that you could see him as Scotty in, in, in places other than just a convention, maybe. maybe. Let's, let's talk about one of the other elephants in the room with regard to story issues, and that is mm-hmm. the introduction of the Ferengi. So in Enterprise, Such. they gave us a backdoor introduction to the Ferengi by never telling us who they were. Mm-hmm. You know, in TNG, we've never met them before in theory, and we've never seen the Ferengi. So when right. we see them that first time and it's that stark white background with the face that's right up close to the camera, you know, it's, it's off-putting. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, hey, what's yep. this? And it's the first time we've seen them. I find it hard to believe that Kirk wouldn't put that in his log along right. with right. In- information. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that is a very large um, canon error. Now – I will go back and revisit the first time that we saw the Ferengi in TNG and verify that it was specific that they – it was the first time they had been in contact. I'm 99% sure it is, but I want to see if there's any tiny little loophole that could allow this to happen and be accurate with Star Trek canon. But otherwise, I, don't, I just don't think it is. I don't – I'm almost positive it's not. Yeah. So that that really rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, I get the fact that they're trying to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know, but days after this episode was released, they essentially said, well, we're just trying to tell a good story. You know, people who take Canada too seriously should just, you know, lighten up a little bit to paraphrase. But that's not even taking it serious. No. I mean, that's th- just, um, uh, hello. <laughs> this show, you know, is supposed to be the fourth season of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, their episodes are numbered 401 and 402 and 403. Yep. And you can't be the fourth season and have an error like this. Right. I agree. Um, that being said, we'll talk about the second elephant probably riding on the shoulders of the first elephant. Yeah. And that is, this is fourth season. And you can help me with the math because I know that I'm not very good at math like you are, wizard. <laughs> um, so let's take a look at this. This is fourth season of... The original series, mm-hmm. five-year mission, and Kirk meets Carol for the first time, and they have a child as a result of this meeting for the first time. Memory 
if memory, uh, uh, if I'm following my memory correctly, Space Seed took place two years prior to this. Three years? Wasn't it season one? Two or three years. Okay. Well, within three years. And in The Wrath of Khan, Khan makes it very clear um, that it's been 15 years since those events. So it's been 15 years. So we're thinking Carol and Jim meet three years after that. So David should be 11. Yeah. 11 or 12. Yeah. And he clearly isn't. He's in his mid twenties, I would say, if not older, he's a doctor. Yeah. And, um, so that's a very big continuity lapse. I think very big. There's no way this story can work and set up the events of star Trek to the wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. They are contradictory to one another. Yep, and this is I, I can't overlook this. Right, I like the idea of a story of how Carol and and Kirk met, mm-hmm. but it should have been something that was in in the, the academy. First. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you're thinking 15 years they've been out in space for at least one. Yeah, it's got to be before they even started their deep space mission. Well, before Kirk was ever on the um, on the Farragut or anything, Farragut or the Republic or yeah. whichever one. Yeah, it had to be while he was on Earth. Yep. So it's it. That was to me that was more of a of a I don't want to say mistake, but more of an error um, in the storyline of Star Trek than the Ferengi because the events in Star Trek Two, which is considered the best of all the Star Trek movies, you just can't overlook that mistake. No. The other thing that gets me is their decision to include proto matter. Mm, so yep. I mean, we find out in Star Trek Three that. This is all happening because of proto-matter, because David tells Savick while they're on the Genesis planet. And I don't like the fact that they're using that in this episode, because, okay, Carol didn't know about it this time, but if she goes forward and uses it after that, it makes me question her credibility as a scientist. Right. Why would she use this thing that killed her entire team? Has, has her judgment lapsed that severely? And mm-hmm. to be honest, Dan, I don't think Carol Marcus would do that. You got to wonder, because I agree with you, why on earth would she do it after what happened in this episode? Do you think it's possible that David did it without her knowledge? Because she never, you never hear her talking about it. It's always David talking to Savick about that they use proto-matter. So that's a possibility, but still, I would, I would assume that Carol would have told the story of what happened on Lapa 3 to her son. And the reason it happened, and that would be another ethical dilemma of why is he using it when it's already been known what could happen. Well, let's assu- let's assume for the minute that that David didn't tell her. Do you think that once they started terraforming planets and creating the Genesis Cave, that she wouldn't go back and go, why did this go so smoothly? What did we do? Yeah. I would yeah. think that she would have reviewed the whole thing because, well, hey, we want to be able to duplicate this. Right. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong, but it just – it strikes me as being out of character mm-hmm. for yep. Carol Marcus. Right. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's – it's that's not – I mean, that's not it. There's some there's some other things um, in the episode that are kind of like, heh, but not as serious as these, I think. I think these were serious um, issues, and I got to wonder if anyone doing the story brought it up during the whole – pre-production process and looking over the script and everything like that. Did anybody say, Hey, that's not in line with, with 
the regular flow of the Star Trek timeline and what should we do about it? And was it just simply ignored? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because I know both David Gerald and DC Fontana have an association with mm-hmm. new voyages on some level. Yep. So, um, why don't we talk about a little geeky things? Okay. Um, and let's start with visual effects, which I thought were oh, really great. They were fantastic. I got to use that every episode, and that's what I'm <laughs> going to use it today. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> in preparation for this, I also watched another episode from the series called Katumba. And if you want to see excellent special effects, these two episodes are good examples of it. They're right on par with anything else. They are magnificent uh, the shots of the different ships, the nebula, um, very well done. Yeah, everything from the ship exteriors to the planet side stuff. Yep. I thought that was done very well, even though I didn't like the inclusion of the life belts from the animated series. <laughs> I thought that the way they were rendered was done really well. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was very good. I, um, I, I l- I've done a couple of, of viewings of the episode and I've actually paused to grab some screenshots uh, because the, um, the, the, the ship exteriors are so fantastic. Um, one thing I think that you wanted to make notion of, so I'm going to steal your thunder because we're on that topic is a question that I actually asked you while I was watching this the first time I said, what's, what's the deal with the warp engines? Those aren't right. And you had a great answer for it. <laughs> well, in the previous episode, or one of the previous episodes, the Enterprise is damaged so badly that their original warp nacelles were on fire mm-hmm. in space okay. in battle. Yep. And so, you know, they upgraded the nacelles because this was, you know, phase two, and then they've changed the name to new voyages. They've gone with the TMP-style warp nacelles, and man, I love how those look. Yeah. I always look, have. They look really good. I liked it a lot. And they look really good with the original saucer and secondary hull before those mm-hmm. are refit. Yep. And it makes me think that I would like to see – now, I know that in Star Trek The Motion Picture, they were in space dock for 18 months doing a complete redesign and refit. But it would be nice to see some small, subtle changes in future episodes of this uh, production mm. to have – Little, you know, just like the warp engines, that's kind of a big one. But maybe some other small things like the impulse engines might be changed a little bit the next time we see it. Little things before they get to space dock to do the the entire refit that they did for the motion picture. Well, if you notice, the glow on these warp nacelles wasn't blue. Yes. It was more yep. of the amber the like old, you got with the yep. old school warp nacelles. So yep. I think that's a nice, you know, change too because, you know, they'll upgrade that at some point. Yeah, that was cool. I I can tell you what I I could have done a lot less with, and that's the JJ-style lens flare. Come on. Who doesn't love (laughs) lens flare? Me. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I had my flashlight right now. I'd shine it in my camera. (laughs) Yeah, there was a little bit of lens flare, and it's kind of a running joke now with with Trek fans. you got to wonder, did they do it on purpose? Did they throw it in there extra just to – I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think cool. so. Yeah, um, I, go right ahead. I say I also hate the no smoking sign in the oh. transporter, and I get that they're nodding forward to Wrath of Khan, but I hated that sign in Wrath of Khan too. It's yeah, just I, come on. I thought it was. I did not like it at all because people shouldn't be smoking in the twenty fourth century anyway. No, or, or the twenty third. Twenty third. Sorry, yeah. I corrected myself. Come on, now we were talking about next generation earlier. Super fan. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Well, all right. We've talked about the exterior. We've talked about uh, some of the interior. Let's talk a little bit about 
the characters in this production. Can I mention one thing before we go forward? Sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, two quick things. I okay. really like the reuse of the regular one station design. Oh, yes. And yep. the terraforming station on Lapa 3. Yep. I thought that was really nice. I mean, that, yeah, was- that design shows up all through the years of, of Star Trek since Wrath of Khan, and mm-hmm. I like that they borrowed that. And then um, this, the lighting. Oh, now, yeah. if you listen to the commentary for this episode, they talk about the vast problems they had. And probably the best illustration with this is the sick bay scene right after the opening credits, because it looks like it was lit with fluorescent lights. And it's very off-putting. Now, I, I concede that they did all kinds of lighting and color correction in post, and it took forever. I yep. get it. But it makes me wonder what the decision-making process was when they shot it. I agree, 100%. And I've got, I've got one better in regards to the sick bay lighting, in regards to what I took as a poor lighting decision and that is towards the end of the episode and i mentioned this to you when i was watching it i was like what um carol is going to say goodbye to jim and she's in the corridor with scotty and the door to kirk's quarters opens and i think he had a son in his quarters (laughs) because it was like the brightest yellow just shooting out and lighting the entire corridor and then when she left it was the same way yeah (laughs) I have to imagine her retinas had to be on fire, <laughs> just like Kirk's cabin. <laughs> that was a little. That was a little weird. So you know, we don't want to. We're not going to beat the the lighting and other problems to death. But we did want to mention it up front that they are some obvious issues, and at times they were distracting. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I apologize for stepping on you. So let's continue with where you were going. Oh no, no, not at all. Um, this is. Like I said, this is a new group of actors for us playing uh, Kirk, Spock, Bones, all, all the people. Um, I will say I was impressed with J.C. King, who played uh, Dr. Marcus. There were some scenes that were done very, very well. Um, and I think she uh, nailed the character of Dr. Marcus uh, well. However, there were some scenes where I was like – this is kind of William Shatner overacting class 101 a couple of times. Did you get that? Um, I didn't. And uh, I'll tell you why in just a second. I thought that the scene in particular where Carol Marcus is in sick bay in the beginning and she's welling up with tears mm-hmm. talking to Kirk. I thought great. that was a very effective scene. Yes, and I, I believed the pain and sorrow that JC King was emoting. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought that she really carried the weight of that scene. And I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, but there are other times where, I, I, forgive my words, but she seemed bored. Yes, uh, I agree with that as well. The the one scene I was thinking of in regards to the um, the Shatner Kirk acting was when she found out that the Ferengi had sold uh, to her coworkers, and she was really mad. And she was I forget the description of what she wanted to do, but I watched that, that scene and I actually pulled it up for my wife who was in the room at the same time. And we both were kind of looking at it like, uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and let's point out at this point that Brian Gross, who plays Captain Kirk Mm -hmm. and JC King who played Carol Marcus are married in real life. 
Which I did not know until today. Yeah, and I, I learned that watching the commentary track for the episode. And this explains, I think, the chemistry between the two actors. Mm-hmm. But I think it explains the chemistry between Brian and JC and not necessarily between Kirk and Carol. Right. Because Brian and, and JC worked very well together. They seemed like they belonged together. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the script didn't do that same justice to, to Kirk and Carol Marcus. Okay. Um I have a question in regards to Brian Gross for you. Yeah. Um, this was – I have not yet watched Mind Sifter. I've only gotten a few minutes into that. I'm planning on watching that, which for those who are not don't know, is the previous episode to this, which was actually supposed to be after this episode, right. if I remember reading it correctly. Yep. So this is his first – the first time that I've seen him as Captain Kirk, and I wanted to get your opinion on what you thought of him as Captain Kirk. I think that – Brian Gross is a really good actor. I think that he he brings an energy to the performance that we don't typically see. And I that's not something that just any fan who straps on a uniform can do. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think he's quite found Kirk yet. Okay. Because that gravitas that that Captain Kirk has seems to be missing and mm-hmm. I I I reference probably the way he sits in the captain's chair. I'm not looking for a Shatner impersonation, but Captain Kirk would never slouch Mm -hmm. in the captain's chair. And I think that there's those nuances of the performance that he'll probably work his way into. But I, I, this is the first episode where we actually see Kirk on the enterprise with Brian gross. Cause in mind sifter, he's really not. Yep. And, um, I, I think, I, I, I think it's a good start Yep. But I have to hope he grows into the Kirk that I expect to see. Okay. Here's what I thought about him. Um, I enjoyed his performance, but it seems like this would be a good Kirk not in season four of TOS. It's pre-season one or maybe season one where he's starting to get his feet wet. He looks very young for one thing. But I think he does a, a, a lot of good things with the character. But like you said, it doesn't seem to be complete with him yet. So that's why I think it's more of a pre-TOS Kirk. And he's going to build into it. I think he has the potential to build into a good representation of Kirk. But it seemed to be in the wrong spot in the TOS timeline. This is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. But I think he's actually closer to the Chris Pine Kirk than the yes. Bill Shatner Kirk. Yes, I I agree. I didn't want to say 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 that, but I agree 100%. So, what did you think of Brandon Stacy as Spock and John Kelly as McCoy? Um, I'll come right out and say I'm not a fan of the Spock at all. I think that the from a from a presentation standpoint, unfortunately, I'm um I'm taking Leonard Nimoy and comparing, which I really shouldn't do. Um, but I have done it on other productions as well, where I'm like, that's not, that's not Spock. He does not look like a Vulcan to me, for one thing. Um, he acts not like a Vulcan a lot also, even though he's half human, we never saw the looks of irritation and, and kind of like pissed off at the situation that we saw in this episode, having to deal with working with Carol. Yeah. There are several emotional responses and, Spock looks really annoyed, especially yeah. when he talks to McCoy. Yep. You know, after Carol leaves the room. And yep. I'm like, that really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. It just, and plus his makeup doesn't look right. 
And they talk about that in the commentary. I was going to say, do you mean in the way in the shading of it or the color or just the way it looks? Because they did talk about the all the problems they had with, with it and how they had to fix it up in post-production. They did, but there's one scene later in the episode where Spock and Carol are working together. And you can still see Brandon Stacy's eyebrows or what looks yep. like his eyebrows. And they've been pancaked over to the point where they almost look like Cesar Romero in <laughs> Batman as the Joker, where he wouldn't allow his mustache to be shaved off. So they yep. put clown white over it Yep, and say, Oh no, it looks great. Caesar. <laughs> and it was distracting because it looked like his eyebrows were extending out to the side and they had makeup over them. And then his Spock eyebrows went just up and right. to an angle. And it's surprising that even if they knew that there was going to be a problem with that, that they couldn't correct it in post-production. Uh, or they couldn't correct it, you know, realistically with makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Because somebody had to look at those, you know, that footage and say, ah, yeah, can see his eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, is that nitpicky to some extent, but... Aren't we nitpickers, though? But I mean, we're <laughs> geeks and this is what we do. That's right. You know, I... I think that there's a little too much human in this Spock. Yes. Um, and there are times where his delivery doesn't lack emotion, but it seems to lack conviction. Mm-hmm. Yep. For want That's of a, a better word. Yep. I like that word. It's a good word. And what about uh, um, what about McCoy? I didn't have a problem with this McCoy. Um, he seemed young for what we're used to seeing um, with uh, with. DeForest Kelly, uh, but I don't think that's really too much of an issue. Um, I did not mind it. One of the things I thought is that there was, if I, if I want to be nitpicky, because that's what we're doing that a little bit, is he seemed to be doing the old, you know, how Bones would kind of like, you know, shrunk his shoulders and cross his arms. There seemed to be a little bit more of that than than there should have been. Yeah, but maybe that's just trying to to play the character a little bit more since since it's well, it's not new to him, but it's, it's for the fans. <laughs> there were. <laughs> There are a few times in this where they try to work some humor in. Yeah. And the problem with humor in Star Trek is that it doesn't ever work when they try to make it happen. Right. It's when it happens on its own that it's beautiful. Yeah. And that scene between Kirk and Spock on the bridge where Spock is talking about Carol's emotional outburst is awkward, quite frankly. Yes. Yep. And then again, when he talks about the Ferengi's ears. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you brought that up. I had forgotten about it. That was awful. I, and you know what? It's I knew it was going to happen. The the whole scene where they see him for the first time and when they closed the channel and they were just showing them, I'm like, he's going to make a comment about the ears. And it happened. And it was just like one of those, oh, my God moments. Yeah, that was – I thought that was a miss. Yeah, uh, me too. I – and it's – I want to recognize these characters and appreciate them for who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I keep – I keep going, eh. Yeah. It's it's almost there. I think there's yes. just a few pieces. I agree. Um, there, are the the arboretum scene with Kirk mm-hmm. and Carol struck me as very disjointed, and I think it was partly because of the lighting. Because mm-hmm. within yeah. two steps, they went from standing on the surface of the sun to standing in a cave. <laughs> and Borgard wasn't there, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he though at the beginning? I didn't on the left hand side of the screen. Oh, I'll have to recheck it because I'm like, where is he? Where is he? I will have to check that one. I could be mistaken. It happens. I, I think that this whole script suffers from an entire lack of cohesion. Kind of bounces around. Yeah, the the B side, you know, the proto matter story 
is not all that engaging. And the A side seems to be hastily told the Kirk okay. and Carol romance. Yep. Uh, at least that's, that, that's kind of how I see it. I don't yep. know how you feel. No, they did do some things right. Uh, don't get us wrong. It was no, enjoyable. Yeah. One of the things that I did like, and, uh, and as you know, I have to rewatch the animated series. Um, I haven't seen it since the seventies, to be honest. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Um, so I want to go back and, and watch the episode or episodes with the life belts. I thought that <laughs> that was done kind of neat in this episode. Um, whether you like or dislike the idea, I thought it was cool how, how they did it. Like you said, uh, earlier, uh, I thought that scene was great. The only problem I had with that scene is I didn't really understand what was going on and maybe I was distracted for a second, but I didn't realize that her communicator had failed and that's what was causing everybody, you know, what Kirk had to go down without a respirator or, or a life belt. Um, I didn't, I missed that the first time. Um, but other than that, I thought it was kind of cool how they did it. I liked it. Yeah, no, I have to say I like that too. I was really worried about it when I heard they were doing the life belt thing. I'm like, uh, this is either going to be kind of neat or it's going to fail spectacularly. And I thought that they actually did it well. I mean, I don't like the concept of the life belts. Because Put your it, life belts on. Yeah, but it was. Uh, I thought they. I thought it worked in the story, and I thought that it looked okay. I thought it looked like yeah. it belonged. I agree. One of the um, things that, that didn't belong to me was the whole blocking of the scene in Carol's quarters where Kirk sits down next to her because it seemed odd visually. It seemed claustrophobic because there was nowhere for that action to go. Like if that scene had taken place in the briefing room, for example, there is at least some movement and some separation those characters can get to increase the drama. But she's sitting next to him and then next to a wall. So she's got nowhere to go to. And the scene has to rely on the dialogue, and that dialogue just isn't there. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. Because I was confused for a minute. I thought that was Kirk's quarters. I assumed it was hers because she was in there working, and he rang the doorbell. Okay, I may be confusing the scene where they did the chili need winning a bang bang. Uh, was that in his quarters? When they when spent they the night together? together? Yeah, that was in Kirk's quarters. Okay, all right. That's where. The, okay, that's that's what it was then. Okay, I'm talking about the scene earlier on yep. where he okay. goes to to her quarters and yep. sits down yep. next to You're her right. behind the desk. I just confused the scenes. Okay, gotcha. All right, that scene I think would have worked better if it had been constructed differently, and if it honestly the dialogue had been stronger. Because otherwise, it it was a whole lot of dialogue that just uh, it didn't work for me. Let me ask you this about that because it was something that I thought of also. Do you think it was the dialogue in the script? Or do you think it was the presentation of that dialogue? I think it was a little bit of each. Okay. I think that even with that same dialogue, I think you could have gotten a slightly different performance out of the mm -hmm. actors and and freed up the ability to move. Okay. You know, the ability to to have some some separation or you know, to to you know everybody's a film director when these things come out, so <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that's what I would have done. Granted, I yep. have never written or directed anything, but nor shall you. I've seen no, no. <laughs> I've seen plenty of Star Trek, and that whole scene just struck me as being a little too claustrophobic. Okay. Um, I got a something I want to bring up, and that is I did not really realize what was going on at the end of the episode when she went to say goodbye to him, and he started on his speech. <laughs> 
<laughs> until he pulled out that little box. Yeah. Uh, you take over. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I, you're on a roll. Go right ahead. <laughs> I could never in a thousand years have, have pictured Kirk to do that in the way that he actually did. It, here's a reason. And I don't want to sound petty. Hadn't they only been together for a week? <laughs> sure. And she already knew that it was a boy. <laughs> she already... <laughs> there have been a lot of medical advances. I, that, I know, I know, I'm just saying. But the the way that he did the whole proposal thing was not James T. Kirk to me. It was out of character. Yes. I mean, he... He he offered to resign his commission. You know, I understand that that they're trying to create a sense of love, but even with Edith Keeler, even with right. uh, Raina Kopic, even with yep. Miramani, yep, Miramani. <laughs> you know, Kirk didn't do that. So right. maybe this woman was different. Maybe she was unique, but I still don't see it happening in that sense. I think that Kirk would have said, "Come with me." He needs his pain. He doesn't need to be reminded when he turned left when he should have turned right. Right. Yep. Yeah, it was very out of character for him. And um, he, he, I think in some ways, he embraces that loneliness that he has to have in order to sit in the chair. Um, and it was a complete and unexpected quick turnaround in that philosophy of his, I think, in that scene. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was just way too sudden. So, Dan... Let's talk about the bullet points for strengths of, and weaknesses of this episode before we you know, pass final judgment on it. What, okay. do you, what do you think are its most significant strengths? I thought the special effects were beautiful. Yes. Um, I thought it really made you believe it was, it was the Enterprise and, and it was a <laughs> Ferengi scout ship or whatever. <laughs> <it was. laughs> Sorry. Um, the visual effects were great. Um, and that is a very big plus for this production. They are up on par with movie special effects. Yes. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. I thought that JC King did a wonderful job as Carol Marcus. Even if mm-hmm. I didn't like the story, yep. she is believable as that character a majority of the time. Yep. And it would be good to see her come back in some way, if at all possible. It's it. With the Wrath of Khan, it makes it look like it's been years and years because, you know, I did what you wanted. I stayed away. Right. Um, so maybe not. But they, they may communicate from time to time. Uh, he hasn't seen David since he was little. So it's obviously he must have been around for when he was born or shortly thereafter. He must have seen pictures or maybe visited. So that would be good to redress because JC did a very good job. I also think that that John Kelly gives us a very passable Dr. McCoy. But for me, for for my own you know, viewing, I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something missing. Okay. Maybe it's the youth factor. Like you mentioned, I'll have to think about that one for a bit, Mm -hmm. but I thought of the big three, his character was by far the most solid. Okay. I would probably put Kirk first because there's a lot of potential there. Um, and McCoy second, very close second. And I, Unfortunately, the Spock character in this production just doesn't just doesn't hit a home run with me at all. Fair enough. I also yeah. thought the work done 
over the last couple of years by the folks trying to correct this episode, mm-hmm. whether through editing or color correction, did an amazing job. They had a gargantuan yes. task. Yep. And between the audio and the coloring and the lighting, I am stunned and amazed they were able to put out a product that was actually viewable. Yep. So kudos to them. They really did a, a fantastic job, and they should be commended. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was interesting watching the commentary, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched a bunch of it, um, is they talked about there was this one scene, I believe it was in the briefing room, and they kept going back from McCoy to Kirk, and they talked about how in the original series you would see the shadowing on the wall behind them, the specific swath of shadow at the top, yeah, and how when they filmed it, that wasn't there, and they were able to put it in in post-production. You couldn't tell that it was added. It was it was done very cleanly. The... Um- there, I actually recommend that everybody go through and watch that commentary track yeah, it because cool. it is actually very informative. It'll, I think, it'll tell you a lot about the the stories behind this episode, and it um, it was very very eye opening. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it cost a significant amount to make this episode watchable, and since it's free, I mean that's that's yep. a, a very Herculean task. So, yep. uh, Dan, what about the specific weaknesses? If you had to bullet point them. Uh, Mr. Spock, uh, the character of Mr. Spock, I think is a is a weakness in this story, in this production and in this story. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it. He's he's too emotional, like you said. He's annoyed. I think that's a great uh, way to describe what he's like. Um, it's kind of like he's he doesn't he doesn't want to be there. Um, it's kind of a flat performance, I thought. Um, and I will say that I'm I'm thinking that it might have just been this. Episode because, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I've watched Katumba, which was one of the earlier episodes, and I didn't come away feeling the same way uh, as I did with this one. Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, I'd have to agree with you. I think that both from a Kirk and Spock perspective, they're not the characters we recognize from the mm-hmm. original series. Okay, and we talked about that a bit before. Perhaps they they resemble their their JJ verse counterparts a little more than they intended to, mm-hmm. but it definitely seems that there's that youth quality of sorts Yes, where perhaps yeah. they've not matured to the point where we expect them to be. Right. Especially so, in year four. Yeah. I, um, for weaknesses for me, I thought the story was just amazingly weak. Okay. Um, there's, there's really nothing here other than the relationship with Kirk and Carol and the rest of the stuff they wrote around it isn't strong enough to carry the episode. Keep that thought in mind for our next topic because I think it it's very important for the next section that we're going to go to in a minute. Just want to get your brain in there to, okay. to, to bring it up again. Um, I think both of us will agree um, that the biggest weakness of this story is the fact that there are two major plot holes in terms of Star Trek canon and, and sequence of events that we know of. Yeah. I think, And that hurts. Oh. It makes me feel like, and I know this is not true because I know the people who produce this are fans, but mm-hmm. it made me feel like fan or people wrote this who had never seen the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Or if they did, just said, well, nah, we're not going to worry about it. Let's just do it because it sounds like it'll be pretty good. Yeah. And I understand that on some level, but if you're going to call the series season four of the original series, I don't think mm-hmm. you can do that. Right. So, yeah. well, Dan, now we're down to the big question that we always ask ourselves with these independent productions. Is this episode, not the series, but is this episode Star Trek? Going back to what you said a minute ago, which I wanted to, to, mind you, to remind you to bring up again, is the story is weak 
in both the A plot and the B plot, we both agree to. Yeah. For me, it's as if they took two things. Let's take Carol Marcus. Let's take the Ferengi and let's write a story around it. That's not what Star Trek's about. That's taking a couple of topics and trying to make a Star Trek episode out of it. And that's not what we expect in a story. We expect a story that has dilemmas and moral repercussions and stuff like that. And I didn't see that in this episode. It was it like, I think what you're going to say is that it was a little bit, but I don't think it was enough to make it this episode, a solid quote, Star Trek episode. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I mean, there are plenty of love stories in Star Trek. Pick, mm-hmm. pick a series. They all have a, Insert crew member who falls in love story. Yeah. Yep. But even those episodes usually have some kind of overarching theme. And I just don't see it with this one. So, I mean, this episode, The Holiest Thing, has a vague resemblance to Star Trek. But it doesn't strike me as being a solid episode in the the hallowed halls of the series, if you will. Right. I agree. Well, okay. Well, there we have it. Um, I would still recommend that people watch it so that they can draw their own conclusion. I mean, it is it is not a bad way to spend an hour. And I think that there are a lot of people who worked very hard on this production, mm-hmm. and whether in front of or behind the camera. And I, I think that it's worthy of, of viewing now that it's available to the general public. And one of the things that I did like about this episode is – because this was really the first one I had watched of New Voyages, I'm curious to watch the other episodes of New Voyages that have come out before it. I want to see what this what this group of, of fans and uh, and professionals is doing to make new Star Trek episodes. So it makes me want to see it, and I would recommend that fans watch it. It'd be interesting to see what other people think about it. Also, yeah, I would too. Um, you know, maybe. You know, some of the listeners of this show will have a different take on it, and we, of course, always welcome that. You know, maybe people will agree with us. Uh, maybe there will be somebody who truly loved it, and you know, it it fills a void for them in Star Trek on television. If that's mm-hmm. the case, then I think that's awesome. Yep. I mean, you know, everybody who loves something about Star Trek is a real fan, right. and that includes if you're a fan of of New Voyages or if you're a fan of of Renegades or whatever series it is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, – we've said before that more Star Trek is good Star Trek. That, yeah, you can't argue with that. Yeah, so I, I look forward to what comes next because the preview for the next episode actually looked really good. Yeah, it did look very good. It looked <laughs> very good. Do we want to talk about that at all or just want to let people see it? No, nah, we'll let people see it. So if all you right. watch The Holiest Thing, <laughs> stay tuned through the end credits and you'll see uh, a tease. Yeah, very good. Yep. Okay. Well, Dan, speaking of staying tuned, we have a special effort going on throughout 2016 mm-hmm. for our listeners and other Star Trek fans. It is our Trek 50 project, and perhaps you could tell us more about it. Sure. Um, we're both very, very excited about this. We're excited of the response that we've gotten so far. Um, we want everyone out there to be a part of our celebration of the Star Trek 50th anniversary and tell us about the first time that you ever watched Star Trek uh, for our very special Trek 50 project. Uh, all you have to do is leave us a message telling us how you began your Trek. 
the thing that unites us as fans is our love uh, for these stories and for these characters. Uh, and everybody's story is very unique. Uh, what episode was the one that you remember first or which movie did you see first? Um, what did you like most? What did you dislike? What made you want to keep watching Star Trek? Uh, do you remember who you were with when you first watched it? And why did it make it so special to you? Um, so we're going to take all of your messages and we're going to publish them in a special podcast episode for Star Trek's 50th anniversary later on this year in September. Uh, all you need to do is call us directly at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. Um, or you can record a message right on our website uh, and then send it to us. Please just remember to tell us your name, where you're calling from, and try to keep the message to a maximum of three minutes so that we can get everybody's message into this podcast. Uh, if you want to get more information, just head on over to our special page that Bill set up uh, at trekgeeks.com slash trek50 to get all the fantastic details. Definitely. And uh, there are a variety of ways to get your message to us. Again, that's trekgeeks.com slash trek50. And among the people we hope take part in our Trek 50 celebration are our good friends in the band Five Year Mission, the five guys who do nothing but songs based on the original series, and their current album, Spock's Brain, is out there for you to go out and buy. So head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Uh, we love these guys, and they are so kind to let us use their music in every episode of our podcast. But no, seriously, dudes, check them out. And They're maybe awesome. if you're going to Vegas to the almost sold out Star Trek Las Vegas, <laughs> you'll odds are you'll get to meet them, and they are a bunch of fun guys to hang out with. So, fiveyearmission.net, get yourself a whole bunch of albums and make yourself happy. Spock's brain, Spock's brain, troubles, <laughs> troubles, troubles. <laughs> year one, year two, <laughs> three. Just make Fark happy. That's all we care about. He's always happy. So for now, this has been episode forty-six of Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. Until next time, we hope you all truly live long and prosper. I gotta say, I gotta throw my congratulations to our listeners such as Heather and Mumph and Aaron and Trek Karen because their quote-unquote beloved Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl yesterday. So with that note, I will end with something that I hope we never have to hear again. C-O-C-O-N-U-T <laughs> uh, now I want chicken parm. <laughs> <laughs>
Actually, it's oh. on the rocks. Okay. And now I'm going to tilt it a little bit and see if you can. The other see. way. Okay. The other way it is. And you'll want to move it close to you. Close. Closer. You like how mine is close to me? I don't have one of those yet. You haven't bought me one yet. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how close mine is to me. And you don't want to yell. <laughs> I'm not, I, I never yell. You did when you first started tonight. Wow. I just heard Sue go. <laughs> I, I know. Right? <laughs> All he does is freaking yell. Wow. All right. What are you? Uh, what what you drinking there? I'm going with the cinnamon fireball, fire whiskey, the Jack Daniels cinnamon whiskey. Again. Oh, so is it essentially their equivalent of fireball? But it's much better than fireball. Yeah. Would you not agree with that, hon? I agree. She agrees. I trust her far more than I trust you. Uh, and I would not um, fault you for that. Your wife is a woman of taste with an exceptional palate. Yes, she chose me. Uh, I was going to say, despite the fact that she chose you, but okay. Well, I beat you to it, so your face. Your face. I'm drinking uh, Amaretto. Palmer, ah, a with, little the, de- with the Star Trek ice balls. Uh, yeah, a little DiSerono on the rocks. There you go. Excellent. Because uh, Daddy's chilly. <laughs> it's, it's fun, nice weather out there, isn't it? Oh, my word. Good Lord. Let me take a moment to open my notes. I've got lots of notes. Well, I'll get your notes. Well, you should have your... Don't look at my notes. I'll get yours. Right. I, I, I had no plan to do notes. You know why? Because Wait, most of the things... I'm not done laughing. Yeah, because most of the things that we would have talked about would have been exactly the same. So Woo, Mr. Tricorder. <laughs> and you know what? I don't need notes. They're all right here. Right in there. So we're royally screwed. Right, right. Did you see the copy for the Trek 50? I did. What do you think? What do you, you what do you think you're dealing with a novice over here? Yep. Okay. I let me read. Hold on a second. Um uh, that's fine. Trek 50. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And feel free to make whatever changes you need to since you'll probably be the one reading it. All right. We're going to do that one tonight. Yeah. Excellent. We won't bother with the the whole iOS Apple thing and blah yes. blah blah. Yep. All right. Let me just pull up my intro for Mr. Davidson. All right. You uh are we splitting up the uh synopsis or are you taking the whole thing? I'll do the whole I mean it's gonna be maybe a minute and a half. Yeah. I'll I'll take the whole thing. All right, you do that. I'll I'll just sit here and listen and be like, Wow, you're so awesome. And if you want, you can kick off the discussion after that. Oops, sorry, wrong. It's not the first time you've done that droid noise on this show. I know. It's a good noise. And, you know, we, we mixed it up now, and now we do beer can chicken. Beer can chicken. <laughs> chicken parm, you taste so good. Oh, God, thank God we're not going to have to hear that ever again. Well, we probably will. You probably will. Right. Mm. Yeah. Tasty. How's that? What is that? I've never had that. You've never had amaretto? I don't. Honey, have I ever had amaretto? I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's nice to just sip. She's not a fan of it. I uh, I wasn't until my wife had a glass one night. We were down in Georgia. Forced a bottle down your throat and uh, took advantage of you. Something like that. All right, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> I was willing. 
I have nothing for coconut by tonight, by the way. I've been trying to think of it for the last half hour. You don't need anything special. You can always just go, coconut! All right. Maybe I'll... Honey! Can I, can I, can I have you help me with coconut later? And have you say it? That looks like the stare of death. <laughs> I'm thinking that's a no. How about you just man up and say coconut? All right.